0: Hi, this is Taylor, Editor-in-Chief here at Journey to the Fringe. Chelsea and I had a discussion, and we decided that this episode, although later in our timeline than what we've been following, is topical in nature and should be released sooner than later. And we've made the decision to release it as a bonus episode. It is out of order, but stay tuned, enjoy this bonus episode, and we'll see you on Friday with our episodes coming out as normal. Enjoy.
1: It's not a news article. It's not anything really but i found this fact that i had to share with you and everyone else so this is a special type all right, of just so that
0: we're all on the same page when she says you she is in fact talking about you
1: yeah you listening right now
0: the most important of us so please we're
1: attention. all You are going to walk away with a valuable piece of knowledge right now. During the Second World War, prisoners held by the Japanese in an internment camp in Dutch Indonesia subsisted primarily on dry bread they made themselves in a camp bakery. But when their captors stopped supplying them with yeast... It became impossible to keep making bread until some of the inmates who were trained chemists figured out it was possible to use urine as a yeast substitute. So everyone's urine was collected daily in large drums and distilled to form ammonium carbonate added to flour. This further decomposed into ammonia and bubbles of carbon dioxide, which allowed the dough to rise. The inmates lived on this urine bread for two years, and reportedly it tasted okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, just so that we're on the same page, if you just add Mm -hmm. flour and water together, you will still get something that is very edible. (laughs) It's it's not fluffy, but it's edible.
1: (laughs) I wish you wouldn't have shared that, because I kind of wanted to see if the audience would try the urine bread.
0: (laughs) Oh god. But that's um, just okay. When people are weary and needing fluffy bread is necessitated in your life. You will go (laughs) apparently it's It's great lengths that you'll go through to get the fluffy bread. Yeah. With that, let's move on to the episode. Okay. Okay. From the unexplained to the mundane. Come join us on our Journey to the Fringe. Welcome to Journey to the Fringe. This is going to be a bit of a different episode. I know we teased a move on to the occult. But this is actually going to be a different move. And I am going to put a general warning at the beginning of this episode. Until now, we really like to talk about the fantastical. The ideas that really haven't been founded. That aren't dystopic topic in nature. Would you agree with that statement, Chelsea?
1: Probably, yes. But it's going to be something that we do want to cover with the podcast. It's just, I would still... Yes. Con- kind of fringe. It's not something that you're going to find in everyday.
0: Yes. And news media. When we talk about this, you've all listened to our, I hope you've listened to our intro and it says from the mundane to the unexplained. Hmm. So we are not just talking about these very fun issues that honestly, I, I think Chelsea and I are both very much so drawn to the unexplained to the fantastical, to those things that have a question mark at the end. Now, What I'm going to talk about today does not have a question mark at the end. It has a very linear story that is very... There are two sides to it, but it is easy to follow. And it is dystopic in nature, if that's how you'd like to understand it.
1: Which I think falls under our umbrella of things. No, yes.
0: I am just giving a warning. If you are here for the fantastical in nature, this is not this episode. If this is why you've listened to us, this is a fair warning. Get out now, for you will not be spared from the topic nature of the world that we live in and the corporatocracy that inhabits this reality.
1: Or give it a try. Just don't review us on it.
0: Yes. But if you leave now, I will not blame you. We'll see you next week. There's some fun topics next week. But for now, this is something that I do feel, and Chelsea and I did talk about this. She doesn't quite know what we're talking about, but she did agree to me doing this episode. It's gonna get dark and it's gonna get depressing, but there is light at the end of the tunnel, at least something you can do. But if that's not why you're here, I do not blame you for leaving now. And with that in mind, we're gonna get this episode started. This story takes place in a little-known part of the world known as Ecuador. And I don't know, Chelsea, can you find Ecuador on a map?
1: Yeah, that would be Central America.
0: Actually, South America. Ecuador? Yes. Ecuador falls uh, directly between Colombia and Peru on the northwestern portion of South America. And to start with now... This yes. is going to be a tale of corruption. I have known
1: that. It is the Galapagos.
0: Yes. Today is going to be a tale of corruption and imprisonment, but not in the way you're going to expect. So let's start this off now. So I think eventually we're going to have to do a tall tale of the South Americas because you can't tell the tale of South America without getting into U.S. intervention in the area. Oh, Yeah. Like, it's so fundamental to every story that you're talking about in South America that you just can't say anything started without U.S. involvement. So I think we have to start there. I
1: think that's just in general. I don't know why they're always sticking those in places.
0: So Ecuador gained independence from Spain in the late 1800s. Eventually, in their timeline of gaining independence, they gained a military dictatorship in the mid-1900s. In the mid-1900s, Ecuador was both cursed and blessed with one of those things that we just kind of come to understand is going to be problems for your world. And that is oil was found in Ecuador, specifically the easternmost portions of Ecuador, right along the border with Colombia. This is 1967. The company known as Texaco began (laughs) surveying the easternmost portions of Ecuador and found oil in that area now this area of ecuador is very interesting not just because it is laden with oil but because this is considered the most biodiverse land in the world so this portion of ecuador has more biodiversity per hectare than any other region in the world also important to the story there are many groups of indigenous people that live in the Amazon along this part. Some of them hunt, some of them fish, some of them farm, but all of them rely on their land around them to survive. When this occurred, military dictatorship is in charge. I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, but he decides to, you know what, let's give this American oil company free reign over this part of the world kind of do what they want to reap the benefits of the oil
1: did they ask for anything in return
0: they definitely gave this dictator a a lot of money he was known as an embezzler so it does not surprise me that they got what they wanted but this portion of time is fairly not well documented what is now well documented how they got to the oil is fairly concerning texaco in the areas that they're digging in where they found the oil in the Amazon, had little regard for oil runoff and had Mm. little regard for what they should be doing with the pollutants that they were using to get the oil out and to make sure the oil was usable. Sometimes they would dig wells to put runoffs into. In total, there were some 1,800 wells, sorry, digs that they used that they would put these runoffs and these pollutants into. And Texaco decided not to cover these digs in any way. And what I mean is generally when you're doing a tailing pond, you're going to put something between the ground and the pollutant that you're putting into the ground so that it can't easily just effuse itself into the soil
1: like absorb
0: yeah it's gonna you're you're gonna ensure that it doesn't just absorb itself into the soil Mm -hmm. Mexico did not bother with that Mm -hmm. second off beside these tailing ponds that they had built these wells they also had just runoffs that would go directly into rivers and lagoons Mexico also told the Ecuadorian government that black stuff that they saw floating in their rivers was good and filled with vitamins for its indigenous groups. Oh no. So Ecuador from 1967 until the mid 1990s had dropped into its land and rivers at least 17 million gallons of oil and 33 billion gallons of pollutants
1: so it's like the good old theory where and i wasn't prepared for this where when you're being watched and you have regulations to follow you're gonna do a better job but i guess it just goes to the wayside of nobody's caring you're just kind of gonna go in and not give a crap about the world that you're living in or the country that has people living just like anywhere else
0: and Until I get to a point where I at least explain their side of the story, I don't want to speculate too much on this end, because one party involved in the story is highly litigious. Uh, I would prefer not to be litigated over what I'm saying right now as slanderous. So I'm just... What I'm saying right now is factually based on what's called the Cabrera Report. Just to give you some context of what we're talking about, Chelsea, do you remember the BP oil spill? I do. Okay. And do you remember how big of a deal that was?
1: It was a huge deal.
0: So the pollutants I just talked about amount to 104 times more than the BP oil spill.
1: I would imagine, especially when it sounds like they're not being regulated by any means.
0: No, they're not at this point. And this gets a little iffy in what we're talking about. I'm going to get into this part a little bit. But for the most part, Texaco is fully blamed for the pollution that's occurring in this time. That sounds right. To the point where Ecuador's cancer rate is 3.5 times higher than what would be expected in this part of the world. Wow. The jungle is obviously hurting from what's happening in there. People are getting cancer and in the mid 1990s, a group of lawyers from the US go down there and they start looking around and they say, you know, we should do something about this. These guys are working pro bono and they decide to start collecting information. If you want to look at something in more detail than what I'm talking about right now, I'm going to give you a very general idea of what happened in Ecuador and what's happened since then. Abby Martin with the Empire Files has very many in-depth documentaries on this, as well as there is a very in-depth podcast called Drilled, and Mm -hmm. their entire fifth season is entirely just about this story that I'm telling you right now. So I am giving you a general idea, but they're going to give you a much better idea of what's happening there. Good to know. A group of lawyers from the u.s goes down there in the mid-1990s and they say you know what things that are happening here are terrible these indigenous groups have no money to actually defend themselves so what are they actually gonna do these lawyers take this case on pro bono and they decide you know what Texco needs to come in here and clean up the mess that they have made at this point i am just going to read chevron's official statement on this just so that we can have both sides of the story
1: yeah let them speak
0: Okay. Chevron is defending itself against false allegations that it is responsible for alleged environmental and social harms in the Amazon region of Ecuador. In February 2011, an $18 billion judgment, later reduced to $9.5 billion, was rendered against Chevron by a court in Lago Agrio, Ecuador. For alleged contamination resulting from crude oil production in the region, on March 4th, 2014, the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York ruled that. That the 9.5 billion ecuadorian judgment was the product of fraud and racketeering activity finding it unenforceable the nearly 500 page ruling finds that a lawyer that we're going to be talking about Stephen donzinger the lead lawyer behind the ecuadorian lawsuit against the company violated the federal racketeer influence and corrupt organization act committing extortion money laundering wire fraud foreign corrupt practice act violations witness tampering and obstruction of justice in obtaining the Ecuadorian judgment and in trying to cover up his and his associates crimes. The ruling prohibits Donziger and his associates from seeking to enforce the Ecuadorian judgment in the United States and further prohibits them from profiting from their illegal acts. The decision was unanimously affirmed by the United States Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit on August 8, 2016. The appeal court stated that Donziger and his team engaged in a parade of corrupt actions, including coercion, fraud, and bribery. With Wait. that out of the way, I am going to start talking about a very strange story from here on out.
1: Okay, I'm ready for it.
0: Okay, so first and foremost, Stephen Donzinger, who was just mentioned in the story that we're talking about, is integral to this story. He is a Harvard Law graduate who practices environmental law. He traveled back and forth between Ecuador and New York, some 200 times between the 1990s and the early 2000s, and worked this case. And in fact, originally brought the case in the U.S. Texaco, to begin with, and this is kind of hard, at some point along the lines, Texaco gets bought by Chevron. Chevron still continues the lawsuit, but at some point in the middle, the the name's changed. So at this point forth, I'm going to talk about the oil company in general as chevron okay
1: i can follow that
0: okay chevron in response to Stephen donzinger bringing this lawsuit in the u.s against them for environmental atrocities that they've committed in ecuador said you do not have standing in this court if you want to bring this case you need to bring it in ecuador they believed at least in Stephen donzinger's own words chevron believed that they could buy off the ecuadorian courts
1: Okay, I'm just confused, given what you just read, but okay.
0: So no, sorry, let, let's let clear it up. Because I'm sure there's a lot of people here have questions because there's well, a lot I, of not, legal I'm things not in
1: confused. here. I just, I'm under the impression, given what you just read, that the lawyer that was fighting against them was bribing the court on the other side.
0: So that part but hasn't happened lie. yet, at least in the story that Chevron has brought.
1: And I don't, I don't doubt it. I mean, oil companies have so much money that I have no doubt that they would be thinking they're above the law because they have money and obviously they thought they could do whatever they wanted to whatever they wanted.
0: The alleged case by Chevron is that Stephen Donzinger bribes the court in Ecuador. Mm-hmm. despite the fact he never wanted to bring the case in ecuador they forced okay. the case in ecuador
1: yeah so they're obviously wanting to try the 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 case in ecuador because they probably think that they can get away with bribing the court in in ecuador
0: yes or that they're just big enough that ecuador would be worried about losing their business
1: yeah okay that's what i'm assuming because they need oil money maybe
0: yes and sorry i didn't say this at the beginning so ecuador's economy their gdp is 60 percent oil revenue i did not know this but ecuador's entire economy is heavily based on oil chevron slash texco is not the only player in this game they are just the only one that has had these allegations brought before them and has had to try these cases okay and there is a national-based oil company that gets brought up a bit. But for the most part, we're just going to focus on this Chevron case. Both parties state their case. It's a six-day trial in the year 2003 when they actually get this. And the whole thing is, is what they had to do is they had to go collect samples from the areas that they're talking about. They had to go check well sites. And they had to really check the health of the environment in those areas, including the humans that preside in them. mm mm-hmm. I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a backstory at least on how legal systems work. Basically in the world there are two kinds of legal systems. What we have in Canada, the US, and the UK is what's called a common law system. And what that means is all of our laws or at least all of our judicial trials are based on all the trials that have come before it. They use those as precedents as to how to decide the stories before them in a civil legal system, which is what Ecuador is based on. You just look at the codified law. So what the rule is written, each party is going to give their understanding of the rule and how it should be interpreted, as well as evidence to make a judge agree to them on that. And then they're going to give them evidence that helps support that story. So each of the parties involved, Chevron in this case, and uh, Steve Donzinger's trial team, present their stories over six days. This judge goes away and does his own investigation and looks at the case that was given to him by both parties and takes just over five years to decide what actually needs to happen. Once this is done, it is the year 2000. It's a long time, but honestly, court cases take a long time. Okay. In 2009, this judge comes back and says Chevron is responsible for the cleanup of this area of Ecuador, and it's going to cost them $18 billion to clean up.
1: I think that's a fair judgment. I'm not a judge or anything.
0: No, and in fact, Chevron appeals this many times and gets all the way up to the Supreme Court of Ecuador, who affirms this case, but brings the total judgment down to $9.5 billion. But yes. this entire case took five years. If you're a corporation, who is a little bit worried about activities in a particular country when you're a multinational corporation. What are you going to do during those five years?
1: Probably like something to do with PR.
0: No. Well, close. Chevron divests. Oh. And by the time this judgment comes down, they have no assets in Ecuador. Mm. So they have a $9.5 billion settlement against them. But the team in Ecuador has no way of collecting on this.
1: Because they're not there anymore.
0: Because there's no money there for this company. This company that technically existed there is now bankrupt. And you're just left sitting there with an IOU for $9 billion from somebody that doesn't exist.
1: Okay, so that also makes sense why they wanted it tried in Ecuador.
0: Partially, yes. From there, there are two separate portions of this. I'm going to talk about this first portion with steven donzinger's group and then we're going to talk about chevron's response and this is really where i came to know about this story steven donzinger's group said you know what yeah this company doesn't exist in ecuador anymore but chevron is a very real company with very real assets billions hundreds of billions of dollars in assets we can should be able to find somewhere where we can collect this money they brought actions in several countries in the first world And sorry, I do use that term just to explain North America and Europe. Canada, the US, and parts of Europe, all these cases were brought, Mm. as well as in other parts of South America. And this is where I first found out about this story. Stephen Donzinger brought a case against Chevron Canada to collect outstanding judgments against them in Ecuador. Chevron Canada's argument was that we are an entirely separate corporate entity and therefore cannot be bound by the actions of other independent corporate entities.
1: Oh, okay.
0: And the original court found in favor of Chevron. The appeal court found in favor of Donzinger. And at this point, the Canadian Bar Association decided they needed to step in and actually say, there's no way you should be able to find that Chevron Canada is responsible for this lawsuit. Hmm. And this was a really big deal in Canada because the Bar Association just represents all lawyers. They're not supposed to take a stance on many things that are law. But they decided to step in and get who is known as Blake's. It has a longer name. I'm just going to call it Blake's at this point. It is a quote unquote bro law firm. It is where the young frat boys who went to law school decide to go practice. Once they've left Hmm. law school, and they very much so are friends of the corporates. And in fact, we're representing Chevron in this case. It was a huge deal. And in fact, a lot of people, a lot of practicing lawyers in areas of environmental law and indigenous law decided to give up their Canadian Bar Association memberships over this. Because they thought this was disgusting, what the CBA was doing. At the end of the day in 2017, Canada decided at the Supreme Court of Canada, no, you cannot in fact enforce this lawsuit against Chevron in Canada. Mm -hmm. Same thing happened in the US, same thing happened in the UK. I unfortunately do not know enough about Spanish or civil law in South America to give you any idea of what's happened in South America with these. Yeah, But what I I had
1: to have been one of those corporations that went in there in the first place. What do you mean? What would it have been the U S Chevron?
0: So no, Chevron would have a subsidiary in each of those. Or would it have been Texaco? It well, Texaco in two thousand one got entirely bought out by Chevron.
1: So they would be responsible for.
0: They would be responsible for all of Texaco's liabilities when they bought them. Yes.
1: Okay, so why is the United States Chevron not responsible for what they were doing in Ecuador?
0: Likely because those are two separate entities, for they would have kept those Texaco shares as a separate corporate entity that is wholly owned by Chevron, but a wholly owned subsidiary. And because of that, we cannot. This is something that you learn in law school that is so fucking hard to do. You cannot pierce the corporate veil.
1: That's not right. What that the, is, yeah. they're above the law, essentially, when they're...
0: They are above the law, but this isn't, Chelsea, this isn't even the most disgusting part of this case that we're about to get into. <laughs> so we just talked about Stephen Donzinger's attempt to get this judgment paid out. Chevron, in the meantime, has taken another step, and they have decided, and sorry, there are two separate steps that Chevron takes at this point. The lawsuit we're going to talk about now is one of them. International arbitration is another step which we're not going to talk about at this point or probably at any okay. time. Just because international arbitration in itself, I would have to take an entire episode just to get you an idea of what international arbitration is and how fucked up it is. Okay,
1: let's not talk about it. And I,
0: I feel like we could definitely do that. There's a great case I really like to look at that is so fucked up. Let's just keep it I'm in court for right now.
1: Maybe I'll know so, later.
0: Chevron brings in the United States New York court system what is known as a RICO case against Stephen Donzinger. A RICO case is a racketeer influenced and corrupt organizations lawsuit. And what this is, is it's when you haven't specifically committed a crime, but you have created an entire group below you that does crime on your behalf. This is how you get the dawn of the mafia. Mm. the rico act is you did nothing but you told people to do things vaguely yeah so they bring a rico lawsuit against steven donzinger in new york which is where he lives
1: donzinger
0: was the head lawyer against chevron in ecuador who practiced out of new york
1: okay right he had over 200 trips yes got it
0: At first, they were going to sue him for $60 billion. And at the last minute, they took out any monetary value. And that is because when you're doing a RICO case, any RICO case with more than $20 alleged is a jury trial. Whereas if it's $20 or less in value, it becomes a judge trial. Um, At least mm -hmm. speculated, that's why they decided to drop that dollar value. Yeah instead of it being a jury case, this becomes solely heard by a judge. The judge's name is Kaplan. One thing that is very easy to look at is Kaplan is a part of something called the Federalist Society in the U.S., which it's a group of all law students, lawyers, and judges who are are fairly right-leaning. And in fact, the last... Three judges appointed to the Supreme Court of the US have all been appointed from the head of the Federalist Society. Basically, all presidents go to the head of the Federalist Society and they ask for a number of names of judges that could sit on the Supreme Court and they're given from there. Mm. One of the biggest donators to the Federalist Society, Chevron. Mm. Millions of dollars have been donated by Chevron yeah. to the Federalist Society. Sure. And honestly, the names don't get much better from there chevron google verizon facebook have all donated to the federalist society uh. when this case gets here for the rico this is at least Steven donzinger alleges this and this this person who did testify on behalf of chevron does also acknowledge this So he alleges that he was paid and coached by Steven Donzinger to give fraudulent evidence in Ecuador. He then admits that he was paid $2 million and coached for 53 straight days to give a testimony on behalf of Chevron that he was given money by Steven Donzinger. This all happens in the Rico case in the Rico case, Does that so make sense, though? no. and why
1: would they why would he have to coach anybody when people legitimately were
0: no, so Steven Donzinger didn't coach him. The Chevron coached this witness to say that oh. he was given fraudulent information that he was coaxed into giving to the court in Ecuador, oh, okay. And just to give you an idea, how many lawyers would you think would be sitting on this case for Chevron?
1: I feel like it's a lot. Anything that I'm going to say is going to be a complete guess. So I'm going to say 15.
0: Okay. Chevron. Which seems
1: like a lot to me.
0: Chevron at any point during this RICO case hired or was working with 60 different law firms and had upwards of 2,000 lawyers working on this case.
1: Oh my God
0: donzinger estimates that it has cost them billions to fight this case
1: i mean does that not point to guilty to begin yeah. with
0: at some point in this rico trial
1: so my question is can i just interject here could donzinger not have upped some sort of amount to counter sue them back so that it could be brought by a jury
0: that i don't know and this whole thing is it's really hard to say how it would be treated because. This Judge Kaplan is treating it basically as like an Apple versus Google style of lawsuit. The entire time that this lawsuit is going on, this Rico, he has treated it like Donzinger has equal amount of resources to draw from as Chevron. So it's no he's big deal.
1: Representing, like to me, he's representing like the earth. Yeah. And like all are like having hardship due to what Chevron has done to them.
0: Yeah and I, I think a big Where thing and even
1: recovering from is beyond me
0: and donzinger had to go out of his way to find another lawyer to represent him because this is not his area of law yeah and at one point and during go this, from
1: $60 million dollars that they were trying to bring to him to nothing like there has to have been a reason behind that because that's not a little amount to be no saying about somebody and then to recant that
0: yeah while this rico is going on chevron issues a demand for Steven Donzinger to turn over his phone and his laptop and all electronic electronic evidence he may have mm-hmm. to Chevron so that they might look at it to see if there's any evidence that they need. Steven Donzinger appeals this because he is a working lawyer who has sensitive client information on his laptop and phone that cannot be mm-hmm. divulged to any other party and When he does this, Judge Kaplan holds him in criminal contempt of court. Mm. He files this, and the judge says, you're not walking out of this courtroom a free man.
1: So, obviously, I feel like just by, and this is me saying this, of course, with no law background or anything... I feel like he's probably also works for Chevron, maybe?
0: He doesn't necessarily work for Chevron. Like I said, the Federalist Society, which he he is in the back pocket of, he is a member of and would like to stay a member of, is heavily financed by Chevron. And he is also known as a very pro-corporate judge. Like there are cases Uh, that he's watched looked at before. So when it becomes a criminal case you need the attorney general to bring the case against the person charged with this crime the new york attorney general refuses to bring the case before the judge so kaplan appoints a private law firm to act as the attorney general in this case to bring criminal charges against stephen donzinger this happens at most five times a year across the entire united states what happens is that Stephen Donzinger is put on house arrest from this point forward, $800,000 in bail. And also, he was unable to meet that $800,000 in bail because, first off, he doesn't have that much money just sitting around. Second That's off, I mean. he was going to use his, his apartment as leverage for the bond. But this judge had also given Chevron... $800,000 in legal um, legal expenses against Donzinger. So they had put a lien on his apartment. So he couldn't use his apartment as his bond. Ugh. It does get figured out, but he has he's put under house arrest. This was in 2016, I believe. And he is still under house arrest.
1: This is crazy.
0: To this day... Steven Donzinger, and sorry, I said 2016, it's probably closer to 2018. He has been under house arrest for not handing over his laptop and cell phone as a lawyer to a a third party for 600 plus days.
1: But that's a thing, though. Like, in a normal case, I feel like that would be something that you could, that would be legitimate.
0: It it wouldn't necessarily be for a lawyer because lawyers have solicitor-client privilege, and it is the yeah. utmost protected client uh, privilege in our legal system. Yeah, super bizarre, but it is. And no lawyer in New York has ever been put under house arrest for criminal contempt of court for more than a hundred days ever, outside of this one case. 100 days was the most
1: that is infuriating. I feel like this guy's just really being silenced by every mean uh, and strong armed by someone that has an infinite amount of resources and money. Yeah. You can't be touched by the law. So how do you fight back again? And
0: honestly, I would
1: for trying to fight this, but I mean, look at where that gets you, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. And I would highly recommend looking at those resources I talked about before Empire Files, as well as Drilled Season 5. Go listen to those and watch those. Very informative on this in, this situation. Because I am giving you the Coles notes, and it's a little confusing when giving just the Coles notes. Mm-hmm. And honestly, there is a very good Guardian story out there that is also partially written by Alec Baldwin. Crazy enough. Ah. The Intercept also did a great story on this, explaining the entire situation. Specifically, they had leaked emails from Chevron that said, we need to make Stephen Donzinger pay for what he's done to us. We need to slander his name.
1: So this is still...
0: This is still ongoing in the US. It is absolutely ridiculous. But there is one thing you can do. And I do need to tell you this now, is mm-hmm. that Mr. Donzinger does not have a lot of money. And he is going up against a multi-billion dollar company. What you, if you listen to this, kind of followed what's going on and are outraged by what's happening, you can donate to Stephen Donzinger's legal campaign. And it is uh, donzingerdefense.com. D-O-N-Z-I-G-E-R-D-E-F-E-N-S-E.com. The money that is donated there, its you don't get a tax receipt, but it goes into trust with the law firm that is representing him. And the law firm that is representing him is doing it pro bono right now. But just court expenses alone, they estimate are going to cost him about a million dollars. Wow. So
1: Okay, we'll link it up in social media. Yeah. I if, feel like that's a good thing.
0: Yeah. I mean... I don't have a lot of extra money. If I did, I would absolutely be giving this guy five, ten, twenty dollars. I will in the future, but I feel like explaining the story to you. If you feel like this is a uh, breach of justice and not how our yeah. legal system is supposed to work, go give him five dollars, ten dollars, one dollar. Just just help this guy out in fighting a corrupt system that we have.
1: That is crazy yeah and i feel like these are good things to cover because it's something that you don't hear about because so much of corporations control what we're seeing i mean you see say facebook is sitting on the board of these things and where do we get where do most people get all their news and information from now and you get so many sit on the
0: board they donate to the federalist society
1: yes And like so many things you see now, people posting on Facebook and there's fact checks and people getting banned off Facebook for things that they're sharing. And there's so much censorship on Facebook now.
0: Not even censorship. I think the biggest thing on Facebook is misinformation.
1: I think it's both.
0: I, I agree. But the problem is, is that the information that is getting through is heavily conservative and it is... This is actually, this is separate from the episode we're talking about. Thank you all for listening. I promise this will only make up 10% of our our episodes from here on out at most. I
1: think that was great. I think, I mean, it may be a small platform right now, knock on wood. But I think things like these are important to talk about. And you know what? It is fringe. I think this falls under Oh, fringe this is absolutely
0: fringe because nobody's heard of it. You're find
1: anywhere else. And I think things like these are so important to be talking about where you see so much censorship and you see in our society where things people aren't talking about things like these because of the money that is behind these corporations and they're so important to be talked about yeah. because There's so much wrong with this. This isn't, it's not humanity. It's not human by any means to be treating anybody like this. And it's important to be covered. So I think these, these type of episodes are important too.
0: Yeah. And there are definitely other parts of the world I would love to touch on. We talked about, this was a, uh, this episode was a uh, even split in my mind between talking about the what's going on in Ecuador and what's going on in Honduras right now. Um Again, something that really needs to be talked about because it is fully tied to what's going on at the U.S. border right now, and also what happened in the U.S. in the last seventy years. Yeah,
1: we'll do we'll do that too. Just we'll just give at a different list.
0: time. Yeah. yeah. But thank you all for listening. I just want people to not have to be involuntarily ignorant to what's going on, and yeah. I may have just given you. Tons of misinformation. But at least you now at least know something is going on in Ecuador that you need to look into and you are no longer passively ignorant to it. Yeah. If not you choose to power. not know anything about it now, it is active ignorance.
1: Ignorance is not bliss.
0: It, no, ignorance is bliss. It's, the problem is that it's not bliss for the world.
1: Yeah. Because it's still happening.
0: Exactly. So... Thank you all for listening. We are going to get into the occult next episode, and yes, <laughs> if not, I am sorry to say we're going to talk about Honduras. So <laughs> buenas noches <laughs> and uh, arriba derci. <laughs> I think that's Italian, but good day to you, good sir. Goodbye,
1: <laughs> good <sirs>. Goodbye. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to Journey to the Fringe. Uh, We are a new podcast and we would very much so appreciate if you could like, subscribe, share, and if possible, provide a five-star review or some sort of feedback if you feel like there's anything we could be doing better. But five-star review is the best thing you can do for us as it does help, unfortunately, in the world of algorithms. Yes.
1: Please and thank you. And you can follow us on social media at journey to the fringe. We don't have all of them. So try searching it. Instagram. We're on Facebook right now. We have a subreddit. And if there's anything you want to hear in the future, feedback, anything, you can email us at journey to the fringe at gmail.com. If there's something we're missing uh, that you'd like to see us on, please let us know. We only know what we know. So we're only in so many places.
0: Also, if you feel that we have gotten anything wrong, please let us know there as well. As we would really like to have the best information possible. We are Mm -hmm. only as good as our research. And if you can provide anything further, it's a real help.
1: Or if you want to share anything, we will definitely, we're open to shares.
0: So yes, thank you for listening. And we'll see you in the next episode. Bye.